podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The dream is made real. Ricky Howard rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I am your host, Sean, and I'm joined, as always, by Johnston for another Shooting the Breeze episode. And this is on the fight week of Canelo Alvarez versus John Ryder. So we decided we'd do a Shooting the Breeze episode on the career of Canelo. What a great way to sit and talk about a certain fighter other than Canelo, you know, like, this this is a guy that we've been following for quite some time, and it's amazing that he's been boxing since 2005, and you forget how long this guy's been boxing as well, like, 2005, he's been boxing 18 years this year, he started when he was 15 years old, it's quite crazy to think that, arguably, people say he's at his peak point now in his, in his boxing career, and then you think all them years ago when he fought Mayweather, that was 10 years ago when he fought Floyd Mayweather Johnson, 10 years Crazy. Since he fought Mayweather, and ten years later, we're still talking about this this fighter as now the face of boxing, arguably in, in some respects. And you know that he's a guy that's arguably at his peak, or or is he on the decline? Some people do think he he could be, or could he be taking his eye off the ball a little bit? Well, what we're going to do in this episode is we're just going to talk about his career. I'm going to talk about when we first noticed him, when we first started to pay attention to him some of the notable fights over those past 10 to 12 years that we've talked about, some that we've covered since doing this podcast. So this podcast has been going five to six years now, and I think like we've covered, between me and you, Johnson, we've covered quite a few Canelo fights now. So it's going to be really interesting just to sort of recap on some of his notable moments earlier on in his career, but then also talk about the stuff that we have covered together before. So I'm going to start with... When I first noticed him, when I first started to pay attention to Canelo Alvarez, and that would probably be in 2010 when he fought Jose Miguel Cotto, the brother of Miguel Angel Cotto, of course. We know Jose was a pretty good boxer in his own right, and that's when I first started noticing Canelo Alvarez. I didn't really notice him before then, and people might say, well, I thought you were a boxing fan. Well, yeah, in 2010, life was a little bit different back then. I wasn't as heavily influenced by the sport as I am now and involved in it in the way I am now so I didn't really follow every single fighter that was coming up through the ranks but when I seen Canelo and I seen this Mexican fighter ginger hair pale skin I'm like this doesn't look like a stereotypical a Mexican do you know like you know I know I'm stereotyping a little bit with it but like you think of you think of olive skin you, you, you think of dark hair, you, you, you think of a certain Latin look and an, an ethnicity look. Like you don't automatically think of someone that looks like an Irishman or a Scotsman. It's like you just don't you don't think of it. But I seen him and he was on the undercard of Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s fight against Shane Mosley. That that fight when Shane Mosley absolutely rocked Mayweather to the core and Mayweather hung on for dear life. The only time, really, you've probably ever seen that from Floyd Mayweather in his career. But that's when I first noticed him, Johnson. That was the first time I thought, this guy looks really, really good. And they were really hyping him up on the broadcast. And, and it's from that moment onwards, I started watching Canelo. What what was it for you? Was it a particular fight for you that you noticed him on? Yeah, I'd seen him a few times on, on sort of sitting ringside. And, and I was a bit the same. His name would pop up and I'd see this sort of ginger kid. And, I'm, you know, and there was a bit of a fuss around him. But I didn't really pay that much attention, to be quite honest with you. So the first time I ever really noticed Canelo Alvarez was Matthew Hatton, when he fought Matthew Hatton and then the Spice Boy, Ryan Rhodes. They were the two fights in particular that, because obviously them being both from these shores, that's when I, I thought, oh, who's this guy? Yeah, he looked good. And it, there was a lot of fuss. I mean, he was like 37-0. and 0. It was obviously back then as well. I mean, you talk about how different it was. 2010, I, I do feel that back for a good part of a decade when Mayweather was uh, sort of the face of boxing everything was about the O he had fighters that were at times frightened to fight each other because they wanted to protect that O so there was a lot of fuss around Canelo Alvarez because he was he was still undefeated and whether he was going to be able to to move up and and you know and, and challenge Floyd Mayweather at some point which inevitably he does so yeah for me it'd be the Matthew Hatton 
and Ryan Rhodes fights that when I first sort of noticed him. But you saying the Mayweather Mosey fight as well, I found myself always just watching the main events back then as well. Like, you know, 2010, I was more involved in what's going on in South Africa for the World Cup. For me, that was more what what it was about in terms of football rather than boxing. I was dropping in and out of it and, and I did used to watch the main fights. But even back then, as I am now as such, probably I'm better now in terms of the fighters that are around today, sort of for the last sort of decade or so. But yeah, I used to watch the main events and I would always, I'd be more involved in the history of the sport. So yeah, that was where the love of the history of the sport come to fruition. And, and I sort of, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I fell out with a, a love of boxing a little bit because of the fact that just I didn't, it, there's always the big fights you'd get, but didn't I, I, there wasn't really enough to really motivate me to, to maintain it other than, Matthew Hatton's brother, I suppose, Ricky. Um, so yeah, that that's that's that was how he uh, it, he came to my attention. I think you've also got to think about like when we first started to watch him, like 2010, 2011, Like social media, like has grown exponentially since that time. So quickly, and yeah, it, so quickly, and even and even then, it was like it was a big thing, like the development of Facebook. The development of Twitter, obviously, 2005, 2006, 2007. You know, the uh, the dying off of things like Bebo and MySpace and even Face Party, if anyone remembers Face Party, you know, the MSN Messenger, you know, all these sort of trends of, of the early to mid-2000s starting to die off. And as you get into the new decade, then you start to get the, 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 the emergence of, of all these, obviously, social media platforms. Uh, and obviously, boxing wasn't, as heavily promoted on them as what they are today. The the reason boxing is, is everywhere now compared to what it was. And I suppose some pe- people don't actually think it is as big today as what I think it is. Maybe the people think, ah, oh, well, it's still not, you know, the biggest sport. And, and they're right, it's not. You know, there are other sports that certainly trump that in terms of its viewership and audience and figures and things like that. But you think about it in 2010, 2011, and that was even worse, you know, you, like you say, the main events were what you kind of tuned into. Like, you wasn't always that well-versed within looking at every single fight on the undercard of a fight. I mean, most most boxing fans would only tune into that back then. I mean, obviously, there were some that there were some Johnson that were, of course, would watch, you know, the full cards or whatever. But nine times out of ten, you'd get most people just tuning into the fights that, that they really want to tune into, which... And I, I, think, I think as well, with you think about... I mean, I don't think I even had an iPhone. I'll be honest with you, I didn't have an iPhone in 2010. I didn't. Um, I know they were around. Um, I think the iPhone 4 come out around 2010. So I think I picked up the iPhone 4 about 2011, 2012. So I've actually only had an iPhone for the last sort of 10, 11 years. And that is at the touch of your hand. So you can you can go online. It meant, you know, I'm just, the reason why I say that is because you're not going to sit at home on the internet. I wasn't yeah. that type of person to sit there on the internet back then. So I suppose, you know, when I was in the office, I'd have a little look. It'd be football and boxing. That was just at any other sport that's happening at the time. But yeah, I mean, you get your iPhone now and, you know, you're looking at that, you think, oh, I'm sitting in the boxing world kind of thing. That's always there. You're always keeping an eye out. So it was it was just, it was just unless it's presented to you on Sky, Sky News or, or normal terrestrial television, which isn't very common that boxing ever gets a mention unless it's one of our own, then, you know, you're not really going to, I suppose I had Sky Sports. So, and, and again, Sky Sports News would only deliver the big boxing fights. Today. Yeah. I mean, that was how it was back then. So, um, you know, although I knew of fighters, don't get me wrong, I followed some. A lot of it was reading as well. A lot of it you had to read about. It. You had to go on to Boxing News Weekly and, and you, that's how you had to get your information. That's, that was, that you know, the old magazines. That was that was how it, I sort of hadn't moved away from that. I still had a newspaper. You know, I, mean, I don't buy a newspaper. I haven't bought a newspaper for years, but that, that just shows you within the time of Canelo, I suppose, I know we're drifting away from it a little bit, but I suppose the time of Canelo, how he's gone on from the very start of his career to where he is now, I mean, it's at the touch of your, your fingers. It's, it's there, isn't it? That's it. Uh, that, that does make a, a difference, really. And I know it is quite nostalgic to even talk about these types of things. We're in 2023 and we're talking about a period of time which even in the last 10 to 12 years, there's been some significant changes in, in technology and social media and the way boxing is promoted. And the other thing I wanted to also add before I move on and talk more about Canelo, the point of the episode, is the emergence of YouTube channels as well. And you think about IFL in particular, uh, the biggest 
in the world, arguably, at, at YouTube in terms of boxing interviews, they were only just starting out then. That was Coogan Cassius and that was James Helder, both of them starting out then. And it wasn't even called IFL, it was just called, I think it was iFilm London, which is what it stands for, but they didn't have that abbreviation and until a couple of years later. And it was just iFilm London. And I think it was something else before then and Coogan at that time was I think he was a security guard bodyguard for Ricky Atten wasn't he and and this this was it this was the time we were living in so the emergence of all these YouTube channels that we get now and all the different outlets and everything that we have out there at the moment we didn't have any of that now so you're right like it does relate to sort of the emergence of a fighter like Canelo you only got to sort see him if you was watching like a, a main fight, if you was watching a Mayweather card or you was watching a particular card that he was on or it involved one of our fighters like a Hatton or a Ryan Rhodes, you wouldn't necessarily be tuning into it unless you were really involved in the sport and you was able to see it. If you think about when he fought Matthew Hatton, yeah, you had another prospect on the undercard, Adrian Broner, who was fighting Daniel Ponce de Leon. You had Danny Jacobs also on that particular card. James Kirkland, a future opponent of Canelo's, also on that card. You think about the, the fighters that were there and then you think about when he starts to fight the likes of Hatton and, the, and and he wins a world title in the super welterweight division, he wins a WBC title, it's at this point then people do start to take notice of him as a fighter. But you think about the two years before he fights Mayweather, he fights Kermit Cintron, he fights Shane Mosley, and he fights Jose Cito Lopez and Austin Trout. And he has this, this great resume going into the Mayweather fight. And this is why Mayweather picked him at this point. Mayweather picked him at this point because he could see a guy who was on the rise and really there was nobody left around that Mayweather could get in the ring with on his terms. So he sees a guy coming up through the ranks, sees a guy that he can essentially at this point of his career can exploit and still has the, the age on his side and he has the speed factor and he has the, the boxing IQ to beat someone like a Canelo. He goes and does that. And I remember the build-up to the Mayweather fight and I remember just thinking, oh, I hope I hope this Canelo absolutely smashes Mayweather. <laughs> I just, I, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty typical style of me really to sort of say that. Like, I hope he, I hope he smashes Floyd Mayweather because, you know, I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand him from the Hatton fight. So I always wanted to see him get beat in some way because I hated his arrogance in, outside of the ring and how he was at that moment in time in his career. But he was absolutely 100% confident he was going to beat Canelo. And I thought, okay, what I said looking at this fight was maybe Mayweather will have enough to beat him, but I really want Canelo to win. So Canelo goes in there and he tries, but he isn't good enough at this point. He isn't good enough. But you remember, he's had how many fights as well? It's, I, it's madness, is it, when you think? When 43. he goes... Exactly. Fight, yeah. 43. He's 40, full fight. Which is mad because that was... That was uh, Mayweather's, was it his 45th fight? Yeah, 45th uh, yeah. fight. Yeah, 45th yeah. fight going into it. So it's mad. You think about the ages, 36 for Mayweather, 23 for Canelo. And it's, it's absolutely crazy to think that maybe Alvarez wasn't even nowhere near his peak at this point when he fought him, but he'd already beat some great names. So going back to that Mayweather fight and that moment then for Canelo in his career, I think that was a hugely pivotal moment. And, and and he says it himself, Canelo, like when he lost to Floyd Mayweather, it was the moment when he was able to go away and actually take things away from that fight, take little moves, little feints, little things that Mayweather did against him and then start to implement them into his own game. Yeah, he did, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's... You talk about that build up there. I mean, he was only 23. He's had 42, 43 fights. This is 44. He's fighting Floyd Mayweather, 44 and 0. And you're right. He was very clever in, in how he picked the right fight for himself. Mayweather had the Robert Gur. I mean, I, I remember all the fights before with, with Mayweather. Pretty much every single one of them. Uh, the Marquez, the Hatton fight, the Marquez fight, the Mosey fight, the Ortiz, Cotto Guerrero, Guerrero, sorry. And, and, it, it, and it obviously with. With Sol beating Shane Mosley and beating, as you say, Lopez and Austin Trout. Austin Trout was a decent name uh, back then as well. Decent fighter. So, um, yeah, I, I was rooting for Sol Canelo Alvarez. Me and Gemma both were. We we really wanted to wanted Mayweather to lose. It was literally because of the fact that, you know, just the way he perceived himself and, the, you know, his arrogance. And you just wanted 
that sold to knock his block off. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And as you say, it was perfect timing for Mayweather. He got credit for that. I suppose you can, but he was nowhere near the fighter that he became. So, I mean, after that, he had to reset himself. And um, he fought at, at Angulo in his next fight. But in, I think there's one particular fight that we do need to, which is the Arislandalara fight. The fight where many feel that he lost. And he got a split decision that night. It was a difficult fight to score. And I've seen it a couple of times. But for me, I still believe Lara won that fight. I think he did enough. You know, Canelo was the aggressor. And Lara fought on the back foot. A bit like what Mayweather did. He almost tried to follow that blueprint, thinking he'd get the decision. Unfortunately for him, he didn't get it. He got one of the judges going his way. But for me, I gave it to Lara by probably a round. It could have been a draw. I'll give it to Lara by around maybe even two the first time I see it. So for me, I thought it was quite a convincing performance. In fact, at times I felt that it was he was more convincing than what Mayweather was. But in looking back on it again, maybe not so much. I do feel that Lara did deserve to take that though. And um and I feel that Canelo really did get away with one that night. He did get away with that fight, definitely. I agree with you on that. I think that was the one where I think he probably should have lost and he he did. He got away with it. You're right. He got away with that fight and I think that would be... He weren't in control, was he? I mean, that's the one no. Canelo we were talking about. He's always in control of fights. He was never in control of that fight for me. No, but then you look at the the two, the two, three cards in total and you think Levi Martinez's card was ridiculous. He gave six rounds to Canelo, whereas Dave Moretti and Jerry Roth, they gave it one to Lara, one gave it to, to Alvarez, and it was 115-130 on both cards. But either way. So you think about one judge sort of seeing it so competitively close and going the opposite way whereas one was just like yeah it's Canelo by like six rounds and it's like no that that was the one if you're going to look back on one of his fights like you look at Mayweather fight you look at the Erezlandilari fight and they're two certainly where you can identify how he struggled to deal with movers and shakers in the sport guys that had that natural ability guys that had that great defense that footwork the lateral movement the slick movement and the inside and the outside of what they were able to do in the ring and I think they were the two fighters that certainly put that blueprint in place to be able to beat a fighter like Canelo. But after that, it's just, he's plain sailing then because he beats James Kirkland, beats him in emphatic fashion, KOs him in three rounds, has a really good fight with Miguel Cotto, beats him, unanimous decision. And that was an emphatic win for him, I think, against Cotto yeah, at this point. It was a big win because not only does he win the WBC middleweight title, but he also then beats a legit guy in Miguel Cotto, a guy who had been around for quite some time, but had beaten also legit level fighters. So to beat him and win this title was a statement. And this is where he starts to reign in the middleweight division. His next fight, he absolutely brutalizes Amir Khan, who, let's be honest, he was jumping up, what, two weights to fight him? I think that was it was a bit of a foolish move, obviously, for Khan. But, of course, he wanted to take his opportunity. But to be fair, to be fair to Khan, I felt like he actually put on a relatively okay performance, really, until he got until he got rendered. I think he was he was giving him a couple of problems. He was. Like Adelaide Bird, who I normally slag off all the time for, 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 for the judging that she displays, she had it 47 48 to Khan. Glenn Feldman had it 48 47 at the time of the stoppage to Canelo. And then Glenn Trowbridge had it 49 46 to Canelo. I mean, I honestly thought, like, when I look at that fight again, like, it doesn't matter in, in, in retrospect now, but I still think Khan was giving him problems. And that, again, was like mover. Another mover, another guy that had fast hands, was able to move around. But as soon as you catch him, you know, we knew that he was going to go to shit. And that was just what Amir Khan was all about. But. It was another good win. Then he beats another British fighter in Liam Smith. Again, Liam Smith, a great fighter, but he was out of his depth at that point, I think, against Canelo. And the thing is, as well, Canelo moved back down a weight when he fought Liam Smith. So he's, he's fluctuated between the weights. He's he's won title already in the super welterweight division. He won the WBC title. He moves up to middleweight, wins the WBC middleweight title, moves back down, fights Liam Smith, gets a WBO title. And he's starting to become the superstar now at this point. For me, 2016-2017, he is starting to become a superstar of boxing. I think this is where we start to see the the, the reign of Canelo really come to prominence at this point. He, his next fight, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., a win, unanimous decision. Yeah, okay, Chavez Jr., I think, 
we we know where he was at. Even at that point, then he was he just wasn't dedicated. He wasn't motivated. He put on a pretty poor performance. Three judges gave it the same for the change. One twenty, one oh eight to Canelo, and then he goes into the next fight. And I think the next fight is where this legacy really starts to begin. And the next fight is the one that's going to create the talking point, which I was waiting for, which was the first Gennady Golovkin fight in September of 2017. Johnston, take it away, my friend. This is your moment to shine. The first Golovkin fight, you're still in debate. You still argue about this one. Just talk us back through what happened there. Well, I think the one thing to point out is with Canelo was that he was as you as you rightly said he was sort of in between the light middle middleweight division but there was no doubt he could have fought at middleweight and what what I believe what the legacy that Mayweather left he has then gone on to follow that blueprint because I felt around 2015 2016 he should have fought Golovkin Canelo should have fought him I believe it was around even 2015 that he turned around and said he won't for not he won't fight Golovkin because he's not a fully fledged middleweight. He said I don't feel that I was strong enough, but yet he was fighting middleweight, <laughs> and he's he he was clearly could fight Golovkin. What he tried to do and what I believe maybe not necessarily him, but he maybe was advised to was to prolong that fight just so Golovkin could get that little bit older, because if he had fought him around. 2015, 2016, say, say after the Koto fight, instead of fighting Khan, he'd have fought Golovkin, then it would be a very different fight. I don't think there would be any arguments because I feel that at that time, Golovkin was devastating, absolutely devastating. He still was in 2017, but he was sublime two years before that. So they bided their time. And I do remember after the Khan victory, that it was Virgil, that Virgil Hunter that came out and was like, straight away in his interview, he's going, Khan did it. Khan set the president by stepping up two weights to fight him. Now Canelo needs to do it against Golovkin. And I remember like the commentator, I can't think who he was talking to now, but he was sort of saying, Well, what where's Golovkin coming to? He's just saying he was just saying, look, he needs to take that fight. He wasn't even anything to do with Golovkin, but he understood that that fight wasn't happening because of Canelo. In the end, it happened. It happened in 2017. And I was pleased that it happened. I felt like it was two years to 18 months later than it should have been. But look, it happened. And what a fight it was. It was a stunning fight. I enjoyed every single minute of it. There wasn't a moment where I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I feel that it was one of the fights of not only the year, the fight, one of the fights of the decade. It lived up to all expectations. So in a way, I can sort of say, Do you know what? Canelo waited because he wanted to make sure he gave himself a, an absolute chance and and he did I mean he, he fought okay they fought well oh, they both did I just felt that Golovkin was the stronger and the better the more productive the hit the mo- most tires more cleaner um and I just felt that Canelo was being given just given rounds that just because it was Canelo I mean it was embarrassing it was even embarrassing. It, it was to the point where it was sort of nine, eight rounds in, and I was, I had Golovkin so far ahead. I was like, well, there's no way they can rob him out of this one. And um, I mean, look, Sean, I watched it, I say recently, probably a couple of months ago, I did watch it again because it's a great fight to watch. And I honestly still think Golovkin wins this fight by clearly two or three rounds. You could even push for four rounds. But yeah, two or three rounds, Golovkin wins. There's. He wins it by. There, there is no way in hell that was a draw for me. I just don't see how that was a draw and how anybody could give that to Canelo Alvarez. I just don't see it. I don't know how Adelaide Bird had it 118-110 for Canelo, to be honest with the you. The worst <laughs> bit of judging, right, <laughs> I have ever seen. Honestly, live, witnessing it. It was it was as bad as Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield. You know, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. What Didn't, didn't she get... Didn't, didn't Adelaide Bird get suspended from that as well? I think you might be right. I think she definitely got took off her high-profile fights for just a short period of time. She did. But, but Johnston, it's not even just a fight where you can talk about the fact that there was poor judging from one of the judges. This championship bout, it generated a live gate of $27 million, and it was the third largest in boxing history. 
That was huge. It was huge. Massive, massive, massive moment for, for boxing at this fight. This is how big the fight was at that time. But, and here's the next but, this is where we get into the next talking point, is because he then tests positive for trace amounts of Clem Buterol. So he doesn't fight for near enough by one day a year. To the, that's like one day. I think he fights on the 16th of September, 2017. Fights Golovkin in the rematch the 15th of September, 2018. Because he has that six-month ban, he normally would have fought in the May, Cinco de Mayo, which is what he started to go through that pattern of, of fighting on Cinco de Mayo dates. And it was this moment where we had this conversation in our preview show for the for the Ryder fight that's coming up this week. And we were talking about like the Clembutero scandal and... You know, how he gets his ban and then he comes back and he's still the face of boxing. But I remembered at the at this point, I wasn't doing the podcast with you. I was doing it uh, with, I think it was Geordie at the time. It might have been Geordie who was doing the podcast with me at that point. And I remember the uproar because of this moment. And, like, everybody's sort of general consensus with moments like this is that fighters should be punished heavily Canelo was punished with six months and he was able then to fight again in a rematch for mega bucks yet again because there was a draw in the first fight so obviously money's gonna talk and people felt like it was the money that spoke that is why he only got a six month ban and why he was able to come out why he was able to come out of it now the whole thing was that he, he, he had urine samples that were taken from Canelo in Mexico by VADA on February the 17th and February the 20th in 2018, and they tested positive for clenbuterol. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole technicalities of what clenbuterol does. It's just a performance-enhancing drug, and that's all we need to sort of leave it at that. It, it, it helps you. It helps you in training. It's going to help you boost up your, your, your muscle mass. It's going to help you boost yourself up and, and be a better fighter, essentially. But... He then gets this six-month ban as a result of the two positive tests. And once all the toing and froing comes and goes, eventually, by the time this is all done, he's allowed to fight again. And he's allowed to fight in the Canelo-Golovkin rematch, which made Las Vegas and the Nevada State Athletic Commission a shit ton of money, which then starts to make you think, did they give him a slap on the wrist a little bit because they knew if they if they banned him for a couple of years, that's arguably a couple of years, which it was, of Canelo at his peak and Canelo being the face of boxing and Canelo bringing in a shit ton of money to Las Vegas and the New York, Nevada State Athletic Commission. So say what you want about it, think what you want about it. I've got my thoughts and feelings on that whole situation, but going back to it again, Johnson, what were yours? Yeah, it was shocking. Let's be honest. Um, it's the the inconsistency of it uh, when you have fighters. It, they they get banned a length of time depending on their stature as a fighter and how much money they are able to produce for whether it be commissions, whether it be for television companies or promoters and even themselves. And... The, the fact of the matter is, he failed that test. A lot of people turn around and say, yeah, it was tainted meat. And they had the football team, there was, a, there was a Mexican football team where they had uh, similar traces in Mexican meat that had um, pretty much the same as Canelo. They were all tested and pretty much every single one of those football players had traces of it in their system after eating this, this meat somewhere. Now, my argument was always this, that you are a multi-millionaire fighter, right? You have a team around you. You can pay a guy to keep an eye on the tests, on, on everything else, can't you? You, you, can, you can get them to keep an eye on what's, what's legal and what's not because it gets updated every 12 months. In fact, I do remember one trainer even saying they actually there's an app and they get given every, every year, it gets updated and you just check the list. You know, football you know, fighters are not going to know about, you know, that the, the physics of it. We don't understand it. But the fact is, there was tainted meat in Mexico. He knew of that. So where's he getting his meat from? You would test that shit religiously. Now, either he, he ate it or someone presented it to him and he ate a bit of meat, he ate too much of it. I don't know. 
it it in in a way it's enhanced him and it has it, it and, and that's the problem isn't it the amount of money you have you should be able to prevent any time where you you fail two tests and then the result of that is the leniency of his suspension and you think all the shit that Conor Ben's going through and good I'm glad I'm pleased because he's been disrespectful when he deserves it but you can't then be it, it, right, what I'm trying to say is if Conor Ben was the face like Canelo, this would have been resolved, sorted, and he'd have his ban. It'd probably be a six-month ban and be back out. He'd be fighting soon. But because he was, he's nowhere near that level yet, he's going through the shit he's going through. And it's the same. There was other fighters around this time that were getting done for the same sort of thing. I think it was uh, the heavyweight. I can't think of his name. Uh, the heavyweight that got done for like two, three-year ban for a clan brute role as well, I believe. And it was a roughly around the same in his system. Tyson Fury, same thing. Hugh, did Huey Fury get done as well, I believe? I think they both did. One was done for a year. And Tyson, I mean, I know he went off off the rails. Ironically, for the two years he was suspended and he was able to come back. There's, there's, it, it all depends on if your face fits. If it doesn't fit and you don't earn enough money, then the suspension is going to be more hefty. And um, that's the way it goes, mate. That is boxing. That's the dirty side of boxing. People can say it's not like it used to be back in the day with a mafia in the 50s and the 40s and even into the 60s. But if anything, the corruption is in within the organisations and no one overseeing them and everyone having their own different rules. It's going to continue and it will always continue because that's just how it is. And it's, we just have to swallow it, mate. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a, a hot topic of conversation uh, at least two or three times throughout the year. But... <laughs> Canelo gets back in the ring in September of 2018 and he fights to a majority victory over Gennady Kolovkin in that second fight. In a fight which I felt was more, I think he was more deserving of, of, of that victory. It was a very close competitive fight and I do feel, I feel like he actually won that one, whereas the first one, I still sort of feel like you do. I feel like Golovkin probably should have got the nod in that first one, but the second one, I think he wins it again in a, in a closely fought fight again one judge had it a draw two of them had it 115-113 for Canelo Canelo gets the victory and ultimately all we want to see is a third fight and that wouldn't happen again for another four years which is absolutely crazy when you think about an aging Golovkin at this point but from this point onwards again he, he reigns supreme he reigns supreme he moves up and fights in the super middleweight division, gets the WBA title by demolishing Rocky Field in December of 2018, comes back down to middleweight and defends the IBF, WBA, WBC middleweight titles against Danny Jacobs in what was a really good fight as well. And then you've got Sergey Kovalev up at light heavyweight in 2019. He wins the WBO light heavyweight title by stopping Sergey Kovalev in 11 rounds. Let's just stop at this moment to talk about where his career is at now. We're going out of 2019 into 2020 and obviously the the, the last couple of years were going to be mad with covid and, and certain situations in the world but he comes back from getting the Golovkin victory after that drugs ban of six months beats Rocky Fielding beats Danny Jacobs and then beats Sergey Kovalev after the Kovalev win I think for me at this point I'm looking and I'm thinking what what can this guy not do in boxing at the moment what can he not do because he can move from the different weight categories he fought at super welterweight he fights at middleweight he goes to super middleweight comes back down to middleweight jumps up to light heavyweight beats sergey kovlov who was once an absolute force in that division and i'm thinking to myself at this point as a fan i'm thinking what can he not do in this sport because it's starting to feel like he could do quite quite a lot and at this point this is where me and you are covering these fights i remember covering the danny jacobs fight i remember covering the sergey kovalev fight and then obviously every fight from that moment since we, we've covered together on the podcast but after sergey kovalev and him winning up at light heavyweight where was your perception of canelo then yeah i mean just just to briefly touch i mean the Golovkin fight i think the second fight would be the best fight i would give that a draw i feel you know that's just my opinion i still don't think Golovkin lost that fight uh, the Rocky Fielding one was just, you know, it is what it is. Danny Jacobs, I mean, Danny Jacobs at that time was one of the top middleweights around. And there was an argument and a claim there that maybe he might have even nicked that fight. Not for me. I, th I think that was pretty clear for me. Canelo won that. But he was always a guy that was going to cause him problems because of his, you know, his, his height and, and his stature. He was, he, was a, he was a good fighter. Very top, top guy in the division. 
Um, and then Kovalev, I mean, the fact is, is that if, if that ban had been a, a bit longer, you could argue that the first fight back, well, he wouldn't have had the Jacobs fight and he wouldn't have had the Golovkin rematch. So um, the amount of money he made in those fights in particular, um, you know, that just shows you, I would love to know, would someone go and do the math and find out because uh, I'm sure he earned a ton of millions he put away in the bank for those fights. But then the, the, the Kovalev fight, sorry, um, again, I mean, the judging was annoying me because there's, there's no doubt the finish is absolutely superb from Canelo Alvarez. But um, for me, Kovalev was up. He was up on the fight. He was he was winning the fight. And again, you had a couple of ju- judges giving it to him and won a draw, which was, it was a strange one for me. I was like, I, I still don't really know what he did to take any of those rounds. He just was very patient. And he knew if I connect with Kovalev, I'm going to knock him out. And I, and I, these were the times where he had become, for me, you're right. Where was he at? He was the, he was the guy in the division. He was, he was the guy. He was the face of boxing. And because I was a huge Golovkin fan, it probably, I, 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 I refused to accept it. I think, Sean. To be honest with you, my emotions kicked in at times with Canelo here, because. In the ring, though, I'm not going to doubt it. In the ring, he's sublime. In terms of the way he is so patient, the way he picks his shots, the body shots, the, the left hook over the top, the way he can hit pepper the body to bring those elbows down and then land that left hook over the top is impressive. I mean, the selection of shots and the way he's able to break down fighters is like nobody around. He, he certainly is a, a phenomenon in the ring. And you see that against Kovalov, that, that, patience he had shown when he waited and he waited for that opportunity and I felt that especially going into the last couple of rounds I think Kovalev could just nick this on points it's going to be a huge problem because we're going to have a situation where Canelo's going to get this on the cards so thankfully he does knock him out and well what can you say Sean what I think they got a knockout of the year didn't it yeah he did uh, it was uh, it was a great knockout it was a great victory for him and, and like we were saying at this point and you're starting to think what what can he not do in the sport and he comes yeah, back and he goes back down to super middleweight again and fights the best that the super middleweight has to offer, which was impressive. This next run of fights for me, the next four fights are really impressive because it really solidifies him as the best super middleweight in the world and arguably the top pound for pounder in boxing at that time. So the sequence goes Callum Smith in 2020, uh, Anvi Yulderim, which I felt like it was a layup fight in, in February of 2021. Then Billy Joe Saunders in May of 2021. Then Caleb Plant in November of 2021. And I think that sequence of fights were were really defining for him at this point of his career because he's basically fighting every single super middleweight that he needed to fight to really define himself as the best in this division. The best 168-pounder since Joe Calzaghe. That's what Canelo did. He put himself on the map at that point. He was already a superstar. He was an even greater superstar. He created himself legendary status. Like, like to say it is, because it is, regardless of what you think of some of the results on paper, they go down as wins, even if you think the draws are losses. And he, he solidifies himself as the probably the top dog in boxing overall, pound for pound, the best in the super middleweight division, one of the best Sometimes maybe people think he's the best Mexican fighter of all time. I'm not going to say he is because there's definitely a debate that could be had around now. But I, I think the general consensus is that at this point, after he beats Caleb Plant, he, he, he's really cemented his legacy in boxing. He's really cemented his Hall of Fame place at this point. And then that's where you think, again, what else can this guy do in the sport? What's next for him? Well, last year, 2022, was... It, I think this is where... People are now starting to have this conversation about, is he taking his eye off the ball? Because he goes up to the light heavyweight division and challenges Dimitri Bivol for the WBA title. Now, Dimitri Bivol at this point, we'd been following him for a while. We knew what he was capable of. We knew he needed a big fight. And I think arguably, many people thought Canelo might actually do this and beat him because Dimitri Bivol at one point was, was smaller. He can make 168. So you're thinking to yourself, well, he could do it against Kovalev, Canelo. Can he do it against Bivol? And what we saw in that fight was a pretty average Canelo because he was made to be average against Bivol. Bivol basically went in there and he he put it on Canelo. Canelo didn't like the pressure. He didn't like the fact that he had a guy in there who could really box and move and had the youth on his side. He had the enthusiasm and 
the, the the fact that he had no fear going into that fight, no no shred of doubt clearly in the mind of Bivol going into that fight. And you could see throughout the course of it, Canelo did not like it. You could see the frustrations in the fight from Canelo of him not being able to do what he wanted to do in that fight. And that's where people started to think, mm. you know, maybe at this point, is he taking his eye off the ball? He's got to that great of a height that maybe is, there's only one way to go at this point and that's down isn't it like you get to the top of the mountain there's only one way to go and that's down and i think this is where people started to think maybe that this is where canelo's going but then he gets the golovkin third fight but before we talk about the golovkin third fight just go back to the bivol fight johnston what were your thoughts on that yeah i mean the, the fact that he knocked out kovlev uh the legitimate light heavyweight and then he has that great run of smith Saunders and Plum, which people have actually criticised. I, I think we even said it at the time, like, how can you criticise that run of those Kovlev, Smith, Saunders and Plum? That's a great sequence of fights. And um, he was criticised because people were still talking about Benavitez. They were saying um, Andrade as well. They were like, he's, he's avoided um, and they're better than those guys. Well, you know, we debate that. We we, we we will say, no, actually, Callum Smith at that time, so at middleweight was, was a legitimate guy. Um, and yeah, so I think after that Kovalev win, I think for Canelo, he probably felt, you know, he's beaten Saunders, he's beaten Smith, he's beaten Plant. Now he's probably thinking, well, there's no one really around in the super middleweight division, so he needs that extra motivation. So the motivation is to go back into that light heavyweight division and challenge Bivol. And the idea and the ideology behind it is because Bivol is a smaller light heavyweight. He, you know, he's fought super middleweight before. He he can go down to super middleweight. He's not the biggest. He's not a Paterviev. He's not a Kovlev in terms of size. I mean, in terms of Callum Smith, Callum Smith would tower over Bivol. So, you know, in terms of their physique, he probably felt Bivol's a layup for him. So maybe he didn't train as hard as he should have done. That's a possibility. Maybe he, his eyes would took, got, went off the ball because he's like, well, I've beaten everyone now. Where's my motivation? You know, the old saying from, from Hagler, isn't it? When you when you wake up in your silk pajamas, it's difficult to wake up for your five a.m. run. It's so true. So maybe that is it. Maybe his desire was actually I'm going to move up, but I'm going to beat a guy that's really super middleweight because that's what people would have said if he'd have beaten him. But in actual fact, what Bivol done, Sean, was brilliant, and he fought. He fought the fight how we even we said he needed to fight to beat Canelo because the only time we'd ever really seen Canelo get beaten was by the flashy Mayweather and for me the flashy Lara, where they're sort of on the outside and not, a, you know, and being that elusive fighter. But Golovkin showed a way of beating him by head on, face to face, and just getting underneath his his, his hooks and, and covering up with the body shots and then coming back with shots yourself to push him back on his heels. No one had ever done that before. Bivol done that. And Bivol didn't just do that. He kept him on the ropes and pounded at him. And he continued to pound at him. And then what I loved about the Bivol performance was the fact that Canelo was egging him to come on, let's, let's try and let's go again. And then he'd stop and go, no, actually, I ain't. And then he'd, and then on his terms, he'd go back at him. So, yeah, the, I think that is the fight where you sort of think, well, are there chinks in the armour or was it just because the weight was just too far to go for him? Maybe, again, someone like a Bivol and a Batervia who are that, that elite level in, the, in their division, it's just too much for him. He's too small. He's not quite strong enough. He's not going to be able to push him back the way he does super middleweights. But he done that against Golovkin. And even then, the Golovkin fight, I mean, I'll let you come in, Sean, but the Golovkin third fight, Golovkin's half the fighter he was. But for me, Canelo takes his foot off the gas there. I think he could have took, he could have got rid of Golovkin. But he allowed Golovkin to come back into that, to, to last the 12 rounds off. It was a good fight, but it's shown me that Golovkin was past his prime. It's shown the world that Golovkin right. was past his prime. And all he did, really, was just show us that, you know, we, we've got a fight which happened four years too late between the two of them. That that third fight between the two of them should have happened in 2019. Simple as that, really. If that would have happened then, I honestly think we would have got another close competitive fight. And even when you look at the cards for this, I mean, two of them are competitive. There's two rounds in it in two of the cards, and then you've got four rounds to Canelo on, on the third. He gets a unanimous decision. The judges are still seeing it really competitive. Yeah, I think I think it was, but I think Canelo allowed it to be competitive. I think the difference was with the other two fights is that he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice in the matter. Golovkin had that level of energy in him and that youth, more youthfulness on his side at this point. 
that he, he was able to do the things he wanted to do in the ring on them, on them two occasions when he fought him. But on the third time he fought him, it's different. He's four years later. He's aged four years at this point. Do you know what I mean? He's 40 years old, for God's sake, at this point. He's, his age is going to catch up with you at some point. It doesn't matter, you know. I know Bernard Hopkins and George Foreman won titles in the 40s and, and created history, but not everybody can do that. Not everybody's body is, is going to be able to, to do that. Gennady Kolovkin, what I saw in that fight, last September was that Gennady Kolovkin's he's he's coming towards the end of his career he's getting ready to line up his retirement and he's probably going to have one maybe two at best fights now and then and he's done so for me it was like all it was was a money-making fight for Las Vegas it was for Las Vegas to make more money because these are two names there's arguably still needle between them because you talk about that first fight now Golovkin should have won it and you know if things would have gone the way they would have gone it would have been the rubber match where it would have been one apiece instead. Obviously, you got the draw, then you have the wing for Canelo, and then ultimately the money talks and the third fight happens. I don't blame Kolovkin for taking that fight because at the end of the day, the money's there for him. The money was there for him to take that fight. I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him for moving up to super middleweight to challenge for all the marbles like he had fought Canelo at middleweight. I don't blame him for any of that. But all it's done, the last two fights in 2022, has made Canelo start to look like there are chinks in the armour, start to look like that maybe he's taken his eye off the ball and have started to look like maybe, just maybe, them peak skills are maybe just not there as what they once were. There is an argument for it. I mean, people might say you're absolutely wrong and he faces John Ryder this coming weekend and he could absolutely blast John Ryder out of the water and people are going to go, oh, we've got the Canelo back, he's back. But my opinion is at the age that he's at now and you think about it, He's, he's 32 years of age, going into his 33rd year. He's been a professional since 2005. Eventually, wear and tear is going to take its toll. The price of fame is going to take its toll. This celebrity status is going to take its toll on him. Eventually, his body's going to start to slow down. I remember seeing an interview with him a couple of years ago. I'll fight till I'm 40. I can't see that happening. I can't. I think Canelo, I genuinely think, I think he's, he's, he's either at his peak or he's just past it. That's where I think he is now at this point of his career. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that. I mean, the fact is he's had 64 fights. How many fighters today do we see have 64 fights? It's incredible. It really is. That, you know, he, he's almost like a throwback, isn't he? A throwback of that 60s, 70s fighters that have sort of 60, 80 fights. You know, like a like a Duran in a way. I mean, Duran had what, over, like just, just, shy, just shy of 100 fights. It's incredible. It really is. I cannot knock that. And for you know, what we've just been through, the blemishes with the drugs and, you know, getting results that have gone his way, that probably shouldn't have. Look, he is genuinely an absolute Hall of Famer. Boxing Hall of Famer, 100%. He will be remembered as one of the fighters. In fact, we gave him fighter of the decade, didn't we? In uh, for, From 2000 to 2009. We, we felt that those, um, or 2001 to 2010, so, you know, that, 10 years he has been tremendous he really has for the whole decade so he will be a legend it, it, arguably the greatest ever Mexican fighter that ever lived I mean the only way what, what more does he need to do Sean um, I don't know I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean this is it because if he blasts Ryder out is it, I mean he's expected to beat Ryder and we, we are going to root for Ryder of course we are because there would be nothing better than I'd like to see the guy from London he's a little in, in London alright I get a nosebleed when I go outside of the river, but that don't matter. He's from London and he's from Britain. He's from he's from England, for goodness sake. It's like, you know, it'd be a tremendous victory. But look, let's be honest, Canelo's going to win that fight and he should blast him out. So for him to, there's, if he was to finish after this fight, Sean, he's done. What, what would he go down as a Hall of Famer for you? I think for me, he would. He'd go down as a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest ever. Would What would take him beyond that? What would take him into the next Level above, I suppose, beating a young, hungry David Benavidez, then David Morrell coming through, maybe, and then going on and having the rematch with Bivol and beating him. What would take him beyond that is to then go and beat Paterviev and be a legitimate light heavyweight and hold all the titles in that division. That'd be the only thing he, for me, that would put him as one of not only the greatest Mexicans, as one of the greatest fighters ever lived, to be honest with you. All the shit that's gone on and I've moaned about it, yes. But in the ring, the guy is brilliant. And he 
Yep. And for me, he's sort of suggested as well that he did bide his time with Golovkin. I think he did. But even then, he did fight him and he had fought him three times. So it's not like he bided his time and never fought him. It weren't like Mayweather that took an absolute eternity to fight Manny Pacquiao. And then Manny Pacquiao was nowhere near the level of fighter that that Mayweather fought. So, um, you know, you've got to give him credit for fighting Golovkin. All right, it's two years, maybe two years a, couple, a bit late, but he done it. And all right, he got the decision, probably shouldn't have. But either way, look, he will go down. Them, them two fights in particular. The other thing is as well, it is because when you think Canelo Alvarez, what's the first name that pings into your head? It's Golovkin. And that sometimes is better than anything, isn't it? When you think of Hearns, you think of Hagler, you think of Durant, you think of Leonard, and then you think of the four of them. You think of Ali, you think of Frazier, you think of Canelo, you think of Golovkin. And that writes itself in history. He does. You're right. And in terms of what else does he need to do, I don't think he does need to do anything else. I think he's solidified his legacy. He really has solidified his legacy. I think if, if in an ideal world now, and we don't live in an ideal world, but in an ideal scenario, if I'm plotting his future now and he, he was able to last out the next two to three years, I'd want him to fight David Benavidez. I'm not yeah. so fussed. I'm not so fussed about Morel. I'm not so fussed about that fight. The Benavides fight, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a must. I think that he has to have that fight. I think if he beats David Benavides, there's then an argument for him being the best super middleweight of all time. Because then he's beat everybody that this generation in the super middleweight division has to offer and also beat the younger challengers. He doesn't have to fight Morel to do that. I think Benavides, yeah, I could say if he beats Benavides, definitely. What else does he have to do? Yeah, why not fight Bivol again? Why not fight Paterbiev? Why not go for that extra mile? And if he loses in the process, okay, so he loses. That you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's, it's not about the undefeated record. It's about legacy. At this point of his career, it's about his legacy, and he's had so many fights in his career. Like if you look at the stage of his career where he's at, he's got he's got to have some miles on the clock by now. Surely, oh, absolutely. surely he's got to be some miles on the clock by now. And I know he started very young, but still. He's got to have him on the clock. And I, I honestly think, like I said earlier, he's either at his peak or just past it. That That's my opinion. You guys listening might have a, have a difference of opinion. You might say he's on the slide completely. I don't think he's on the slide. I think he's I think he's just either right at his peak or he's just edging past it. And I think if he's, if he's going to fight Benavides, it needs to happen after the Ryder fight. If he's going to fight Bivol and Bivol wants to come down to super middleweight to fight him, yeah, then that should happen. But will that fight at 168 secure his legacy? Yeah, I think I think it would. I think the Benavidez fight would certainly put him in with a shout of being the best super middleweight of all time. And then if he was to go up and, and beat Bivo back at light heavyweight, or he fights Paterbiev and beats Paterbiev, which at this moment in time I can't see happening. But theoretically, if he was able to do that, that would not only put him as what the greatest super middleweight of all time, it would certainly put him down as one of the best fighters of all time and probably the best Mexican fighter of all time. Absolutely. At that point, I would, I would hands down, I couldn't argue any other Mexican fighter is better than him at this point. I, I couldn't. I really couldn't. And regardless of, of any other blemishes or any other moments in his career, what he's provided over the past 15 years is absolute entertainment and he's brought eyeballs to the sport. And... I, I have enjoyed watching his career. I have. I've really enjoyed watching it. And I'm talking like it's over. It's not. We've got a couple of years left on him, definitely. But I think what we've talked about here in this episode is is really sort of put it into perspective as to where he's at now going into the John Ryder fight and what is left for him to do in this sport. If he retired after the John Ryder fight, would you be disappointed? I don't think I, don't think I would be. I think... He's done. What else can he do? Like you say, Benavidez, maybe Bivol, maybe Paterbiev. For me, I'm not interested in the other fights. I'm not interested in Andrade because Andrade isn't interested in himself. So why would I be interested in that fight? I'm not. Oh, no, Exactly. Exactly. So why would I be interested in that? I'm not interested in that. The only fights that interest me now with Canelo Alvarez is David Benavidez. that's, That's the only one, really. I mean, you could say Edgar Belanga could be a good fight, but I think the Benavidez fight, I think because Benavidez has solidified himself as the next logical contender now, I think that's absolutely going to happen at some point. And then I think if you look at the light heavyweight division and you start to think, well, well, who's he going to go up and fight next? I mean, there's still an argument 
that Canelo could even go as far as bloody Cruiserweight. There was talk of him fighting. Yeah, there was talk of him fighting Macabu, weren't there? Up at Cruiserweight. Yeah. So you don't even know if he might even bypass the light heavyweight division. But if he was going to go back to light heavyweight, then obviously he'd have to beat the guy at light heavyweight, which for, for, for us is, is Bivol, but could be Baterbiev in some people's eyes. So he'd have to do that. That's the only way. If he came back and beat Bivol at light heavyweight, then you'd have to argue with that. And then if he really want to go any further and he carries on his career and he really wants to go one step further, maybe someone like a Badu Jack up at Cruiserweight would be an interesting fight. Do you know, that that's a possibility. You think about Badu Jack and where he's at in his career. Badu Jack has just beat Alungu Makabu, who was a proposed opponent for Canelo. So, you know, the, the, there's certainly a fight between them two because you think about it, Badu Jack was a former super middleweight. So there's definitely definitely an argument for, for those fights to happen. But if he's going to solidify his career, we both agree on what I think he needs to do uh, left in his career. But if he retired tomorrow, I'd still say he's a Hall of Famer. He's an absolute legend. And he's in with a shout of being you know, one of the best, if not the best Mexican fighter of all time. Yeah, and I think that the, the argument there with him being one of the greatest super middleweights of all time is definitely up there. Um, I mean, could even now you could you could quite easily say his resume is better than Joe Calzaghe. Joe Calzaghe was undefeated. That's what people will pull on, um, and he had some tremendous fights and fought some tremendous fighters. But it was a it, for me, you know, if Calzaghe had a fought Golovkin three times, would he have beaten three times? I, I know the, for me, uh, I say that Canelo. Hasn't lost to him. He's drawn one for me. He, on record, he hasn't lost, but he has lost. But either way, you know, if you stick Joe Calzaghe in the mix of Canelo and Golovkin, even even Roy Jones Jr. when he had his cup of tea at super middleweight, because you know many people create this. Well, we we done our super middleweight show, and we was like with with Roy Jones Jr. We we always identified him as a super middleweight. When you look at, he was a lot heavyweight. Roy Jones Jr. That was his best years. Um, let's be honest, his early years were super middleweight. Uh, there were more fights for him. But then you look at it, uh, Eubank Senior, James Tony, Andre Wald at super middleweight as well. So is he is he as good as Wald? Is he as good as Calzaghe? Jones Jr. when he was fighting at super middleweight. Um, uh, Roy, yeah, Jones Jr. and and James Tony, I say. And even Cole Froch, you know, Ben in there. I think he'd beat Cole. No offense, but I do. I think he would eventually take that on points. Uh, but Cole was a valiant. He would never, I don't think he would have knocked him out. And the one thing I will say is with Canelo, Sean, which we haven't pointed out, is obviously he's got great technical ability. He's very patient. He lands his shots. He doesn't waste any shots. He's powerful. He's explosive at times. He's, um, his footwork can be excellent sometimes, you know, most of the time. But there are times when I sort of, he, he sort of steps in and out. He wait, he, he, I think for me, for Canelo, I think it's his distances and how he's able to figure out his distances and, and land those big, powerful shots on his fighters and how he times them and how he lands them. I think that's impressive. But his chin, Sean, I mean, that's one thing we haven't even mentioned. He has got to have one of the toughest chins in boxing. Well, I think that's about it for this episode. I think we've yeah. kind of covered what we wanted to cover for this career of Canelo. And it is a whistle-stop tour. It's not like a career profile we're doing here. It's shooting the breeze. It's what we think. It's off the top of our head. It's just talking about some of the fights and fighters and you know, obviously, where we see him at the moment, what he needs to do at the end of his career. I mean, I'm enjoying these these types of episodes, and I hope you guys listening are enjoying them too. And if you are, do let us know. Do please leave us feedback on them because if if they're not your cup of tea or they're not what you like to listen to, then please do let us know because it helps us formulate more episodes it helps formulate more content for episodes for you we feel like just doing a little whistle stop tour of canelo's career ahead of his big fight this weekend is a, is a good little addition to the week you've got the fight preview we've done and then you've got this you know it's not something everybody does you can go to every podcast out there and they'll do the same thing which is a fight preview if you want to talk a little bit different uh, a casual conversation like what this is about canelo's career then you know this is the type of stuff we love doing so if it is what you like to hear from us please do let us know at btr boxing pod on twitter or the btr boxing podcast network pages on facebook and instagram the youtube channel and you can find us on tiktok as well a big shout out to the patrons of the podcast you will have had this episode ad free and you will also be able to get access to all of our patron only content and if you're not a patron 
Why? Why are you not a patron yet? Why are you not getting access to that content? Please do go and check it out at patreon.com forward slash BTR Boxing Podcast Network. We do have so much content on there that we've not released to the general public. We've got so many different tiers on there. You can either be a very minimal supporter and, and pay as little as £1.50, or you could go to three quid, or you could go to £5. Or you could, if you want to go the whole hog, you can go £10 a month and get absolutely everything possible. The support's just fantastic. We love it. We, we really appreciate it. It allows us to outsource different material to do our shows. So without it, you know, we wouldn't be able to continue to produce high quality episodes that we do for our series based content so please if you haven't had the opportunity to visit patreon.com please do go and have a look and see if there is anything you can do to support us in any way if you can't look it's not the end of the world just keep sharing our stuff on social media keep commenting all of that helps all of that engagement really does help us across social media so please do that as an alternative if you can't commit to becoming a patron but i hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode of shooting the breeze all about the career of Canelo. Podcast Network.